Would you stand with me as we prepare to pray together, as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word this morning, from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. For those of you who still carry a Bible, uh, you can turn there uh, if you'd like. But first, let us pray this prayer uh, together as we prepare our hearts for God's word. Living God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the new light of this day. Open our lips to tell of the empty tomb. Open our hearts to believe the good news. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. He was praying in a certain place, that is Jesus. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything out of friendship, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you? If your child asks for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish. Or if the child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion. Some teenagers here would like that, a scorpion for a gift. But if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. The disciples often give us hope for the wrong reasons. When they fail to get the message and mission of Jesus so often, it makes us feel a little bit smarter. But not this morning. This morning, the disciple that is featured at the opening of this particular text he is discerning enough to ask, not for power, not for provision, 
not to sit on the right hand or the left hand of Jesus in his coming kingdom. He's not even asking on behalf of uh, his family and the needs they may have had in their day. But he has the discernment to ask Jesus to teach him how to pray. I wonder if in our prayer life as followers of Jesus, there has been times in which we maybe have prayed what the disciple asked Jesus. God, I, I don't know quite how to pray. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation? I don't know how to approach this particular situation. I, I don't know. I don't have words. In fact, uh, I, I love that, that the Apostle Paul kind of gives us this language or this way of understanding that there are times in life where prayer is tough. And I get an amen. But that the Spirit of God... <laughs> intercedes even when we cannot pray, says Paul. When our souls groan and our hearts are burdened and life has been difficult, I am grateful that even when I don't have the capacity to pray, that God says through His Word that the Spirit knows what is needed and intercedes on our behalf. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Uh, but the text challenges us in a particular way to recognize that maybe all of us can learn to ask God to teach us how to pray. Now, let me put it to you this way. If you were comparing this text with Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer, you would see that Luke is pretty succinct. There's no reference to our Father who art in heaven. It just begins with, Father, may your name be revered. In fact, if you want to compare them, you'll see that there is a lot less in Luke's account of this prayer. But I want to suggest to you that when you ask and I ask Jesus to teach us how to pray, that even though this particular text is brief, it is dangerous. When you and I begin to listen to the way in which Jesus teaches us to pray, I, I want to suggest to you that even though some of us, and I'm going to date myself, grew up in schools where we would recite the Lord's Prayer, by, ra by raising of hand, can I just see who is from that era? We'd line up for assembly and you would recite the Lord's Prayer. Like those of us who have become familiar with this prayer, it is perhaps easy to not see how dangerous praying the prayer of Jesus can be. I want to say to us that we ought to always be discerning of what we ask of God, because if we ask with sincere hearts that which is according to His will, it comes with challenge. And so... I want to suggest that it's good to learn from somebody who practices what they preach. Jesus is praying when He is returning. He is being asked to teach because He embodies a particular way of life. You know, if I want to learn how to, uh, to drive an F1 race car, there's many reasons why that won't happen. 
but I'm not going to ask any of you, I'm going to ask an F1 race car driver. If I was going to ask somebody to teach me how to cook, I would ask my mama. But she's no longer here. And there's a pretty good amount of good cooks in this congregation. If I was going to ask someone how to run sound, I, I, I would go to Daryl Hine, our chief sound engineer. And if I ever ran the sound, you would know if I didn't sit down under his tutelage. But when it comes to prayer, I want to learn from Jesus. Very simply, Jesus teaches us the Jesus way that prayer begins with God and not with us. Before we get to the one place in the brief prayer in Luke where we ask for our needs or for the grace and forgiveness of God or for the desire that Jesus wants us to have to ask for forgiveness and seek forgiveness with others or to be spared from trial and temptation, Jesus teaches us that the way disciples pray in His name is to begin with not what they need, but with what matters to God. May your name be revered as holy. May your name be honored in all creation. May your name not be profaned by your children. <laughs> I want to read for you from a, 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 an Old Testament prophet. Uh, this prophet, uh, you know, is, is prophesying at a time where the people of God had lived in such contrary ways to the ways of God that God's name was being profaned. Uh, maybe a, a colloquial way of saying this, God's name was being dragged through the mud by His very own people. When Jesus prays, He invites the disciples to, to stand alongside Him as children of the Father. And, and in the ancient days and in the Jewish culture to this day, that, you know, when you went out, you represented the name of your family. I remember being on the streets in Matrusfontein, where I grew up. We had these red gravel roads. I'd come home, and I'd be caked in red gravel dirt, that was a good day. But when I was with this one friend of mine, Peter, Peters generally get you in trouble. <laughs> and Peter would entice me to do something like pick blackberries and raspberries from Mr. Aker's garden without his permission. Mr. Aker's once caught us in the act covered in gravel and with blue and red dripping from our faces. He says, I know who you are. You are Pastor Neville Williams' son. <laughs> there is a sense in which the people of God profaned the name of God because they were to be the children of God, reflecting in the world the very holiness of God. 
Let me be clear, God is holy not because we make Him holy, but God's name can be profaned when we do not live up to our God-given identity as children of the living God. We must wrestle with this reality that the way we live reflects who we belong to. The way in which we conduct ourselves will either show people the holiness and the reverence with which we ought to approach even the way we speak about God, but more importantly, as witnesses to the truth that God is the creator of all things, and He has come to renew and to restore all of creation. Therefore, how I live as a son of the living God matters when I pray. In Ezekiel, God speaks and says, I shall sanctify my great name, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord. When through you, that is God's people, I display my holiness before their eyes. In the world today, we say, you know, God is dead, says the great agnostic or perhaps atheist. The secular world seems to suggest, however, that there is no reason to believe in anything definitively beyond our own comprehension and calculation. And yet the testimony that the church must bear is the very holiness and reverence for the true God that we profess we believe in. The world needs people who lives in holy ways so that we may incarnate and make known to the world who our true Father is. But not only does the prayer begin with what, God, what matters to God in terms of His name, but but Jesus teaches His disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come. If you read Matthew, and His will to be done. It's a dangerous prayer for anybody who wants to be king of their own lives. To, uh, to say to Jesus in prayer, or to say to God in prayer, listen, uh, not my will, but your ways. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Not what I want, but what you want. There's some great old songs we sing that, that carry good theology. There's also great old hymns that don't. So don't do that. Don't be like, bring back the hymns. Not all of the hymns are good. Just like not all the choruses are good. Some of you are amening more on the chorus than the hymns. Okay, we're a hymn and a chorus people. I'd like to hear some more hymns though, right? But good ones. I surrender all. You know what I surrender all is? I surrender all is, is, is how we participate in the kingdom. It's how we are called to pray. I don't know where your prayers begin, but oftentimes I think we are tempted to begin with what matters to us and what we would like God to do. When our will governs our prayer life, we may never get to what God wants. When we begin with what matters most to us, even though God cares about what matters most to us, 
We never pray the kind of kingdom prayer that orients us to a different way of life. God does not exist to fulfill our will. We have been created to live according to His. When you want to pray like Jesus, and you begin with His holiness, and you begin with who God is and who we ought to be in relationship to that, we recognize that Jesus invites us to pray that we would now ask that all the ways of God would be made true in the here and now as we await the day when He will make everything new. We are praying that the rule and reign that Jesus has enabled through His death and resurrection would be enacted by those who serve the King Jesus in how they live today. If you're asking yourself, Stu, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not a place that we can put a pin on a map in, but according to Jesus and the Word of God, it is the place wherever people live according to the reign and the rule of King Jesus. Therefore, we can participate as kingdom subjects in the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves, because this kingdom breaks in through Christ wherever God's people live according to His will. The kingdom of God is, um, is already amongst us, according to the Scripture. It has come near to us, according to Jesus. It is a different way of living. It's a, a contrary way often to the cultural way. In the kingdom of God, um, the least are often the ones that we are seeing the greatest insight and transformation in. In, in the kingdom of God, there is a, an equality of people. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 says here, there is no Jew or Gentile or slave or free or barbarian or Scythian, but Christ is all as, and He is in all. In the kingdom of God, there is not socialist economics or capitalist economics, there's jubilee economics. Have you ever heard that? You know what jubilee economics is? It's the forgiveness of debts and the setting free of slaves. In the kingdom of God, the church can live in contrary ways to the predominant culture, not because we want to say, hey, look at how smart we are, but we have found a way of life that is according not only to the will of God, but the purposes of God that leads all who desire into the peace and freedom that we long for. the royal rule or reign of God, wherever the will of God is accomplished. So you want to pray like Jesus, we begin with God, we pray that we would live in such a way that we would not profane His name, but His name would be revered as holy. We pray that we would be a part of the kingdom work wherever we go. You know, a, a simple way to ask yourself if you're living in the kingdom is to ask yourself whether what you're doing and what you're investing your time and energy in leads to hope and peace and the proclamation of who Jesus Christ is. 
Is he king of my life or is something else become more important? Is Jesus, has he has a, does he have the, the right to invite me to do hard things for his namesake? Is Jesus still the one that can, that can make requests upon me to, to live sacrificially when I could just care about my own needs and wants? Does Jesus still have the priority in my life to the point where I would sing that song, I surrender all and live according to it? May your kingdom come, a dangerous prayer. But I, I also paid attention to this prayer in a different way. May your kingdom come, and then it moves into a portion that we all can relate to. Give us our daily bread. I want to suggest to you that when Jesus teaches us to pray this way, he does definitely want to affirm that God cares about what we need. Daily bread is perhaps, as one commentator says, more than just actual bread. It is anything we need to live our lives in a material world. It is praying for farmers and crops and truckers and drivers. <laughs> it is praying for those who care for us and provide services at grocery stores. How we treat people really matters, right? <laughs> It is about being grateful in many ways for the fact that many of us can leave here and be assured of a meal on our table. It is recognizing that God is the one that makes all these things possible in this great and glorious land in which we live, which all of us must give God thanks for. Give us our daily bread is also an invitation to live more simply. Sometimes we pray, God, give us a month's worth of steak. The vegetarians amongst us, a month's worth of quinoa. God, uh, give us so that we would not have to depend on you. Give us so much more that we don't have to pray anymore. God bless us to the extent where we can become so independent that we can live as if we are, in fact, the ones who provide for all we need. But prayer, according to Jesus, is about so much more than our need. It is also an invitation to be transformed. Bear with me, and I'm on page four of five and three quarters. <laughs> That's nervous laughter right there. <laughs> give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Whew. Okay. I'm okay with daily bread. I'm okay with the God who forgives me but a prayer that invites me to forgive others. <laughs> Hold on, Jesus. <laughs> Just a minute now. I, 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 like, I like to be in the position where I am the one that that can rely upon grace, but I, I sometimes don't want to be the person that has to 
become gracious. Uh, one commentator said it well, and I'm trying to go from memory. You know, I, one, of, one of the things I'm hoping my sabbatical will do for me is give my mind the necessary rest from memorization. I don't know if you know this, but that's how I communicate. I, I write out my script, and I, uh, I, I actually read it through so much times that I am very comfortable to speak it to you like this. I found over the last year that I need to stay closer to the script because sometimes I'm forgetting. Maybe some of you are saying, the sabbatical is not going to kill that. You're getting old. <laughs> but one commentator said about this prayer, he says, it is a prayer that if we dare to pray it, will change us. Will change us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, says Matthew. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Maybe I should pause and say, God's in the forgiveness business. Thanks be to God. I got to tell you, otherwise I couldn't be standing here, right? <laughs> None of us would be sitting here. If God was not in the forgiveness business, but here's what Jesus is teaching us. Not only is God in the forgiveness business, but God's in the business of transforming His creation into forgiving people. In Matthew, the word is more correlated with actual physical debt. Do you know that when the Bible is translated historically, oftentimes, the Bible is translated by the dominant culture in such a way as to mix the original meaning of some of these words. And so it's easy sometimes... It is easy sometimes to spiritualize something. Oh, yeah. Forgive us and as we forgive those who are indebted to us as, as something kind of maybe cerebral or uh, emotional or relational. But, but in Matthew, there's a very strong economic sense in, in a culture and in a time where to be indebted led to being enslaved. <laughs> you know, Jesus teaches us to become people of forgiveness, he's saying something provocative to those who owned people. He's, he's saying the provocative things to those who could use what other people owed them as a means to control and subjugate them. For the original language would have not only the spiritual dimensions or the relational dimensions, but it would have the actual real sense of those who are bound and needs grace. Those who who need to be set free from bondage, from owing that which they cannot repay. It has the real sense that the people of God becomes a jubilee people of God. We do not account the way that the world accounts. We, we, we do not hold the way the world says we are justified to hold things against each other. We learn to live in a way that requires a, a deep work of the Spirit of God. If I want to become a person of forgiveness, i got to say to you that it is easy to think of this when it's trivial things, but when it's hard things to it, when it's costly things to it, genuinely, I don't know how we get there apart from we pray because we can't get there on our own. We ask that this Father would help us to be transformed. 
The longer I live my life, the more I recognize that God invites things out of me that I cannot do in my own strength. But if I start to pray it, if I start to ask Him to help me with it, I start to see some mountains move that I never thought could move. I start to see things change in my attitude that I never thought could change in my attitude. I start to see that the, 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 this kind of narrative that most of us believe, this is just the way I am, therefore I cannot change, starts to be confronted with what the Apostle Paul invites us to, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that the Spirit of God is able to do something in me, creating within me a willingness, a desire, and a hunger to live as someone who offers grace and forgiveness. But I want to close with just giving you maybe a different perspective on all of this. You know, Jesus goes into a, a parable of a man who has a friend show up. In the ancient world, uh, to be a friend is, is a lot more than what Facebook tells us friends are. But just so you know, I'm cool. I have over 1,500 friends. In fact, I'm in the place now where I'm I don't befriend you unless you're in the 1500 club. I'm just kidding. Uh, the word friend is used repeatedly in the ancient world. Friend um, had the context, almost like a familial context. So it's much more than just simply saying, you know, it's just a friend. It, 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 it's kind of like friendship could save one's life when you were in need. You, 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 there's a communal understanding to the culture of the early centuries. Therefore, when we hear the word now, we just kind of don't think of a distant kind of. This is somebody that, that knows the other person and relies upon the other person. So Jesus tells a story, and I'm going to close with this. The baby is telling me my time is up, okay? Out of the mouths of infants and babes. All right. Some of you are going, what? Okay. A friend shows up at his house he doesn't have. He goes to another friend. Knocks on the door. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I did what I really love to do. You guys need to know this. I, I really like buying bargains. I love marketplace. I like getting a good deal. Showed up at the person's house, rang the bell, knocked. No one showed up. Didn't make me feel good. My son was with me, and I was like, I have to be pastorally. But I had set this appointment up. Something that I wanted, I was going to get a good deal. I had my best argument for bringing the price down. I was prepped and ready. Knocked on that door, rang that bell, no one came. Good news is they did go, they did show up, I did get the deal. Thanks be to God. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All of you are really excited for me, happy. But here's somebody knocking, knocking, knocking. The person is in bed with their children. I, I don't think this is lost, this should be lost on us. The security of the family, the primary role of the person in the home, presuming that this person is doing what matters to secure. The door is locked. <laughs> I want to protect what I have, and, and I'm doing what I need to do. And you come at an unreasonable hour. It's so disruptive. 
And Jesus says, this man, you know, knocks and knocks, and the person has all these reasons not to. But, but surely, surely, if they just keep on annoying, keep on persisting. Now, how, this is how we preach the text, right? We usually say this, God is inviting us to be annoying to Jesus. No. Here's how the story unfolds. Jesus says, if you will answer because of the annoying bother of a friend, God is not like that friend. He does not treat you like that friend. He is eager and ready to supply your needs, but get this more than that. He wants to give you even that which you have not dared to ask him for yet. You ask for bread, he wants to give you the bread of life. You're asking for something to fill your stomach, he wants to give you something that nourishes your soul. You're asking for a lot less than he's willing to give you. But if you dare to ask him for the Holy Spirit, you know what this is? This is God giving himself to us. Not just what we need. He is giving himself to those who ask for it. He will freely give you his very presence. Oh, man. I, listen, maybe that sounded better in my head than you felt it was. But my goodness. You want to pray a dangerous prayer? A prayer that goes from beyond need to transformation, it begins by asking of God that which we as the church have been invited to pray for. But let me close with this. I think that the prayer transforms us to becoming people who become the answer to the prayers of others. Let us put ourselves in the, in the bed with a friend who's cuddling their kids at night. Can you, can you believe I used to cuddle that little guy right there? There's no cuddling happening anymore, in fact. Can't even go into his bedroom now. I used to be cool. I used to be. Dad used to be awesome, right, Alana? Who's, who's knocking at, um, at our doors? Who has some needs that we are just kind of I'm busy here with some stuff. Who's persistently out of desperation saying, I, I, I need some hospitality. I, I need... Um, I need someone to hear that when the needy come knocking at the door of my life, according to Jesus, that is Him. When our lives become shaped by the transforming prayers of the kingdom of God, we begin to live as those who hear the cry of the hungry and who respond. When we pray the prayer of Jesus, may your kingdom come, 
may your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. We are also inadvertently praying. May we also be able to give to others the bread that they need. I don't know if for some of us the idea that we can be an answer to someone's prayer is new. But I want to close by telling you that there's been times in which my life in which I have prayed for God's provision and it came in the form of those who have developed an ear and a discerning ear to listen well to the needs of others. I would suggest to you that the way in which, boy, I'm really hot up here, I can't find my hanky, sorry. I want to suggest to you that the way in which God still answers prayers is miraculously. But very often times when we see people in need, he's saying, whew, answer on. Participate in my kingdom. If you seek first my ways, I will take care of you. If you trust me enough, I will make sure that I will be with you. I, I am with you. My friends, we, uh, we have a, um, this is just one aspect of caring for people, but we, we have this food bank and we have the gardens that we're growing. And, and some of you, a lot of you are involved. By the way, I was looking at our volunteer list on, on, on Church Suite and I got to tell you, there's a lot of you involved in ministry. Thank you. If you're looking for a place to serve, there's always place. There's always room. Came in here yesterday, and, and there were people working, putting in shelves and vacuuming and cleaning the basement. There's, there's many people involved here. Uh, but I, I want to take a moment just to point out something. Uh, that we are trying to live out this prayer in the very tangible ways in which we can be a part of feeding the hungry. You know, um, learning to serve as a way of life will transform you. Learning to pray that God's kingdom will come and His will will be done invites each and every one of us to say, Lord, I want to be a part. I want to participate. So in closing, who, who's knocking at your life's door? For some of us, it might be our own children, family members, spouse, colleague, classmate, friend, enemy. I want to win Facebook is going to come up with not just a friend tab, but an enemy tab. <laughs> it's already there. It's just not called a tab. Whose persistent knock are we ignoring? Who, who has moved on because we've just 
not responding. May the God of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning with your friend and pastor, teach me to pray this prayer with an openness and a receptivity to His Spirit that transforms me more and more into the person God wants me to be. As the worship team comes and we prepare ourselves to participate in the sacrament of communion, it's also called the Eucharist in some traditions. The Latin means thanksgiving. It's called the table of thanksgiving. It's called the Lord's Supper. It has um, common elements of bread and wine common to the day of Jesus, certainly, and it is not lost on me how that this bread itself does not only represent the very body of Christ and the, the juice, not just the lifeblood that He bled as He hung on the cross, but it also represents nourishment. It represents things that can satisfy. When we participate in this sacrament, here's what we're actually doing. We are remembering not in the way of saying God just did something in the past that we are trying to remember, though that is part of it. We are remembering in such a way as to say this, that the one who teaches us to pray for bread is also the one who gives himself to us to satisfy our hunger. So when you receive the elements today, you are, as the Scripture says, eating and drinking Christ Himself as a, a symbol of saying He is the one who satisfies. He is the one who fills. He is the one who nourishes. Let me pray and then we'll sing a song together before we participate. You may want to take some time to open your little capsule there. It's uh, a little tricky at times, so you take some time. But let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your unending grace and hospitality to us. We know that in many ways we are unworthy of your love, and yet we rest in the knowledge of your unfailing favor towards us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place and rose again to set us free. We confess our sins before you. And if there's anything in us, anything in us that we are ashamed of, anything in us that we need forgiveness from, we ask that you would grant us the grace and the confidence to believe that here and now you offer us your pardon. If there be anyone that we are irreconciled with, I pray that you would grant us now in this moment of grace and truth the courage and the discernment and the obedience to seek such forgiveness. We thank you that you are faithful. We receive your forgiveness. And we ask, Lord, that as we participate, that these elements itself would become for us a means of grace. So that as we receive, we may know that you are enough for us and enough for this world. Amen.